You know when I really sound good uh, singing? It's uh, when I uh, turn the radio up louder. <laughs> I sound better and better the louder it gets. And I was sounding pretty good this morning because y'all kept singing louder and louder. And I said, this is awesome. So I uh, appreciate that. Thanks for singing with me and singing to me and singing to the Lord. What a awesome opportunity uh, God's given us that we can praise him week to week. Uh, he is good. I want to continue our study and finish it in the epistles of John this morning. We've looked at 1 John in uh, a good bit of depth, and then 2 John last week and this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles or open our Bibles uh, to the letter of 3 John. We saw last week 2 John, shortest book in the Bible, uh, New Testament, excuse me, written to a, uh, a lady, and it was all about hospitality. This is a good follow-up to that, also a short letter, uh, and uh, written to a man, uh, about three men, really him and two others, and it also uh, follows up on the theme of love and hospitality, uh, but here he lets us inside to see there are people who try to hinder love, they try to hinder the hospitality the church is engaged in. Three people in this letter that you'll mention that, that are mentioned that the whole letter revolves around. The first one is Gaius. Second one is Diotrephes. And the third one is Demetrius. Let me tell you a story about three men that went on a camping trip. Three preachers. Gaius, Demetrius, and Diotrephes. And they get out uh, to spend a night. Every time I hit that, i got to fix that, don't I? Or I gotta quit hitting my leg. Right? Mm. Hold, hold on, I know this trick. All right, we'll see if it works now. Uh, not quite. I'll just try not to hit my leg. I hope my hold my Bible in my right hand and hit this side. There we go. Three men went on a camping trip. Gaius. Demetrius Diotrephes. They were three preachers. Get on the camping trip, got the camping fire going. It's getting dark, and they're sitting around the campfire talking to one another. And uh, one of them said, you know, I think we would grow closer together if we'd all share a sin that we've committed that, or struggled with, and, and we could pray for each other. And they all agreed, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So the first one went, he says, you know, my struggle is, I said, a lot of people don't know this, because I, I really keep it under wraps, but... My struggle is alcohol. I said, you know, I don't, I don't drink socially. I don't drink in public. But I get really lonely and isolated and d distressed at times. And uh, if I have some time away like this where I'm just not around anybody, I get hammered. And I know that's wrong, but that's what I do. And they thought about that for a minute and said, okay. And the next guy said, I've got something similar. You know, my, my problem is uh, that was Gaius. And then... Uh, Demetrius says, you know, my problem is, is, is lust. Now, I've been faithful to my wife all, all, all these years. Never cheated on her. But God made women beautiful. And there's times when I lust. And I know I shouldn't do that. Um, so I'd love for prayer about that. And then there was just a long pause. Long silence. And uh, Diotrephes said, you know, guys... I'm not going to be able to continue this camp trip. i got to get back to town. 
And they said, well, wait, wait, before you go, you know, at least share your sin so we could be praying for you. He said, well, okay, my sin is gossip, and I really got to get back to town. <laughs> There's an example of three men who love each other, but one man's action is really hindering the love of the others. If he takes and shares those stories with others, he has ostracized them and he's ostracized people in the church and it really hinders the love in a church. And we see similar things in the letter to, uh, of Third John that Diotrephes is one who greatly hinders love and hinders hospitality. I want to just kind of walk you through it. We'll get to Diotrephes. He's not the first one. Gaius is the first one. Gaius is what I call just an awesome lover of the church. Diotrephes is an awful, not awesome, awful troublemaker. And Demetrius, the last, is just a good example of another lover in the church. And that's how it's, it ends up. First of all, let's look at Gaius, this awesome teacher of, of love, just an awesome lover. First three or four verses says, the elder of the beloved Gaius. So it's John, the elder. He's writing to Gaius and describes him as the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. John's like Gaius pastor. He's the, the one over him. Verse 2, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Gaius is well-loved. He's described as well-loved. Verse 1, you're the beloved Gaius. I love you in Truth. Verse 6, didn't read it. It says, who test there are other people, not just me. Who, there are people who testify to your love before the church. Gaius, you're, you are a good lover of the truth. You're a good lover of the church. We need to learn from that. We need to learn from his example. Uh, he is described here as beloved four times. Verse 1, my beloved Gaius. Verse 2, beloved, I pray for you. Verse 5, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do. And again in verse 11, beloved, do not imitate this evil. So if I were to write a short email to the church and describe somebody in there that I love as, and as a man, beloved, four times, some of y'all would think I lost my sexual purity, right? Like, what's going on? That's a strong word. It's an appropriate word in the purity in which it's written by this elder pastor to a younger man, Gaius. The word beloved, I thought this was just an interesting tidbit, little rabbit trail, side note here, sidebar. Beloved, as I looked it up, was found 68 times in the Bible. It is never, not one time, ever used for anybody other than a Christian. How about that? God's description. You're my beloved. 
You are well loved by me. You're my prize. You're my precious treasure. Those would be some of the words that, I, that might fill this in. And Gaius is one of those that John points out as a leader in the church. You are beloved, well loved by me, by the church. Why? He gives three reasons. I want you to see him. Number one, because he's walking in the truth. Interesting how he weds truth to love. If it's really love, genuine love, it is grounded in doctrine. It's grounded in the truth of God. And Gaius love, it's not superficial, it's not flimsy, it's not here today, gone tomorrow, because it is grounded in truth. He says, Gaius, I love you the way you love. Verse 1, whom I love in truth. He wants us to know this example of truth. Um, he uses truth over and over. Uh, you see it again, verse uh, 3, you're walking in the truth. Again, in verse 4, my children are walking in the truth. There's an emphasis on the truth. Gaius' love is well-grounded in truth. He can live it openly because it's true love. doesn't need to hide it. Hide it. It's, it's the right kind of love. Uh, there are people who say, well, you know, I, I know we don't need, I know this is not right, but we just need to do it. We, we just need to move in together or something. It's not the true thing to do, but it, it's something that we do. See, that's not love. Because it's not grounded in truth. That's your feelings, that's your emotions, that's your desires, but it's not true love that would be considered godly love. The love Gaius has is a true love. Society defines love as just as long as nobody gets hurt. That's not love. That's doing what you want to do on your terms, hoping no one gets hurt. It's not defined by God, not directed by God, not encouraged by God. Gaius love is a true love. It's based on the truth of God, his, his, his character, and his word. Um, that's the kind of love we need. John greatly commends it to others. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in truth. If, if you're the dad and you've got kids, and that's kind of the example we have here, the elder John speaking of Gaius, the younger man, man, we, we don't know too much about the discipleship relationship between John and Gaius. He describes it. He's like a, a child to him. Maybe he's shared the gospel with him, and he's his child in the faith in that regard. But he says, there's nothing that excites me more. See him walking in truth. You know, see, it's, it's a big difference in saying, now, I, I've got some children and they're out living with people and they're really, they're doing a good job of love, but uh, is it true love? Is it biblical love? Is it pleasing to God love? Uh, no, none of those. But they love each other. See, it doesn't excite you, does it? It's not something you really want to share. It's a little shameful to even talk about. John says, I got a joy that's high. It's complete. It's exciting because I've got a kid who walks in the truth. 
give you a couple passages to compare this with. First of all, let's look at James chapter 1, verse 22. Go back a few books. James chapter 1, verse 22. And you know this, but I want to just get it in your mind to be comparing. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, if you were just a hearer, you'd be deceiving yourself. And James says, I don't want you to just be a hearer. That's deception. Because, see, you could say something like, yeah, I love God, but I still want to move in with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. Uh, no, that, that's deception. That's saying, I, 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 to do that, I love God and not walk in the truth? No. That's not loving God. That's not walking in the truth of what you just said. Give you another verse. Look at Luke 6, verse 46. Here Jesus is speaking, and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Is Jesus your Lord? Oh yeah, Jesus is my Lord. Do you get angry at your wife? Do you disrespect your husband? You see, that's not walking in the truth. Jesus, why did you just say you love me and you don't do what I say to do. That's not love. That's not love. It's not true love. And we let the world many times filter our definitions. If we're not obedient to the scriptures, if we're not doing it God's way, if we're not walking in the commands of God, it's not true Love And the commands were love commands as we studied them together. The first four of the Ten Commandments, all about loving God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The commands uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all about loving one another in a manner that pleases God. It's, it's walking in the truth. It's love consistent with, wed to the truth. And that's the way Gaius is being described. We could learn much from Gaius, wish we were all like Gaius. I wish we all had children like Gaius. Brings great joy when our children are walking in the truth. Um, you know, uh, there's times to say, I love God, but yeah. I just couldn't go to church. I don't have time for church. That's not walking in the truth. God wants us assembled as his people, encouraging one another and giving him praise. Or say, I love God, but I struggle with lust. Uh, do you ever look at pornography? Yeah, sometimes. But see, that's not walking in the truth. That's not dealing with the lust, according to God. Do you say you love God, but you're not... Fighting. 
for the church and biblical relationships in your family and with your kids and with education and all that. Say, well, no, I'm not having that, that fight. I've got other fights. Well, then that's not walking in truth. We've got to be walking consistent with the Word of God. That's what is commended to us through, uh, through Gaius or uh, I'm all about the truth. I really do love God and truth. Well, let's talk about gossip a minute. Do you ever have a meeting? Hey, let's do lunch. What are we doing lunch for? Because we need to talk. And the lunch has been planned to talk about someone. That's not walking in truth. That's gossip. And, and we've got to think through these things and commend one another for true love, walking in the truth. That's the follow-up. You know, I was thinking, too, I, I don't know. This is one of the later letters of John, and then John writes the, is used by God to write the book of Revelation. So let's say he writes the book of Revelation around 66, 68 A.D., Maybe he wrote this right then or right after. It could, it would have been easy. He could have penned this in, in one day, one afternoon, real fast. Um, if you've got the elder pastor, the one who leaned against the breast of Jesus, the one who was well-loved by Christ, writing last words to the church, to me, as I was thinking about that, just this morning, saying, wow, how how." significant are these words that last things that I want to tell my church y'all continue following people like Gaius because he is walking in the truth that's the kind of love that thrills me over just fills me with joy and that's what the church needs is a love that's consistent with the truth, well grounded in truth. Number two, Gaius not only has that kind of love, but he is strong of soul. Interesting statement here that I don't hear discussed often. Verse two again says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. So we're talking physical health, well being, prosperity. Notice this last phrase, as it goes well with your soul. We just sang a glorious hymn, It is well with my soul. John is saying, Gaius, it's well with your soul. And because it's well with your soul, I'm praying it'll be well with your body and, and well with your life. Here's prosperity, health, and wealth gospel, but with a twist. That I want you to have health and I want you to have wealth, but I want it in proportion to your soul. Your soul's already strong. So since your soul's strong, let's move to creaturely comforts. But notice the priority was on the soul. We get it the other way around, don't we? The health and wealth, prosperity gospel, a lot of times you hear preach, it's just Jesus gives you health and wealth, physical health and a new Cadillac, right? The new Escalade. So, no. John says, soul strong first. And I'm going to pray God will bless you physically and 
every other way as your soul prospers. That it would go well with you like it does with your soul. Look at 1 Timothy 4.8. See the same priority there. 1 Timothy 4.8. Phrase before it is the beginning of the sentence. Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training. So let's just say physical bodily training. Is of some value. Emphasis on some. Smaller value. Godliness is of value in every way, meaning greater value. It holds promise for this life, present physical life, also for the spiritual glorified life to come. So you, again, you see very strong that contrast that our soul, our inner life, is of more value than our physical outer life. And he shows us the comparison, the priority, the right priority we should have on our souls. Gaius is a man who had a healthy soul, a well soul. Give you a contrast. You remember King David, he man after God's own heart, but he had some sinful times. Look at Psalm 38. This is one of those. Psalm 38. And again, you see in here a relationship between his soul and his body. And that's why I'm picking this particular psalm. Psalm 38, beginning at verse 3, says, There's no soundness in my flesh, so my physical body is weak, it's, it's wobbly, it's not sound. Talking about the physical. Why? Because of your indignation. That's spiritual stuff. God's mad at me. God is mad at my soul. At who I am as a spiritual being. Because my soul is in conflict with my heavenly father. My physical body is wobbly. Goes on. There's no health in my bones. Why? Because of my sin. My spiritual state of sinfulness is making me literally soft-boned. Weak. Goes on, verse 4. My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. So imagine sin, this spiritual entity coming over me, over my head, and then falling on my shoulders. And he says, and then just weighing me physically down. I'm physically tired, and I'm weary. And the reason I am weary and tired is because of sin, because of something internal in my soul. Verse 5, my wounds stink and fester. Because, again, my soul, my spiritual foolishness, not obeying God. Verse 6, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. Now, he's laid on the ground all the day I go about mourning. You ever get in bed and feel like I just can't get up? Verse 7, for my sides, his kidneys, his lower back, my sides are, are filled with burning. 
and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble, I'm crushed, I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Prescription. You ever had a doctor give you this? Man, you're weak, you're tired, you're anemic. I hear you. You can't, I bet you can't get out of bed. Prescription. Holiness. Prescription. You need to get right with God. There's a correlation between your physical condition and the condition of your soul. Mayo Clinic statistics. Not mine, theirs. They say when you go to Mayo Clinic, that's your special, you're going to specialists, right? You, nobody else can figure it out, and they're sending you somewhere else. Mayo Clinic says that 85% of the cases they get are psychosomatic or mental, meaning internal. There's something going on in this person's soul, in their psyche. It's not a physical problem. They might not say it the way the scripture says it, but the problem is spiritual. 85%. I wonder how much, Dave, how much better David would have looked had he just dealt with his sin. How is it with us? John is saying of Gaius, Gaius, you look good, man. Because I'm seeing your soul. I'm seeing... You are spiritually strong at loving God and His people. And you are so strong of soul. I'm going to turn my attention to praying God will bless you physically. I want it to shine. I want people to see the correlation between your soul and your physical condition. I pray that for you. We need to make that a priority that our souls look like strength through truth and through love. Third characteristic of Gaius, a generous man. Verses 5 through 8. Hear God's word. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers Strangers as they are who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Treating somebody as though you were treating them, treating God himself. I want you to, you've got strangers just showing up and you love them and you love them well. And you not only take care of them while they are with you, you, you send them on their way as though you were you were sending God himself off. Verse 7, for, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. I think Gentiles here is a reference to the non-believer as opposed to Jew-Gentile kind of connotation. You're not accepting gifts from non-Christians to take care of these Christian strangers who come. Maybe they've been missionaries they are preachers, they've preached, they've taught. You're sending them on your way, and you're paying for it. Gaius, that's, that's very commendable. Verse 8, therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We need to support them. We need to be 
generous. Christ, you know, encourages the same. Matthew 25, he says, he says, you took care of me when I was sick, when I was weak, when I was in prison. And the disciples said, well, when did we do that? When did we see you weak and sick and in prison? He says, you do it to the least of my brothers. My brothers, you do it to me. You take care of my church. And I notice you are generous in sacrificing yourself, your time, your resources to help the church have what it needs, whether it's a, a, an expanded part of the church who just comes to visit and you send away, or it's that part of the church that's with you all the time. It is an excellent hospitality. And furthermore, you don't try to charge the non-Christian to take care of yourselves, to take care of the Christians. That's the way New Covenant is, New Covenant Church. You are, many of you are just very generous in your heart and your soul and in your giving. Uh, we don't have to have signs and fundraisers. We, we just say, no, no, no. That's the tithes and offerings of God's people are to pay for ministry. We have guests every week. We don't charge them for the electricity, for the clean carpets, for the air condition, for the food we provide. None of that. That's generosity. We don't grumble and complain about it. We want to do that. That's what Gaius wanted to do. He wanted to give to Christ and his cause. It mattered. And he wanted to give generously. And John says, we need to commend people like that. We need to support people like that. They are fellow workers of the truth. And what are they doing? Hospitality. That's what they're doing. I've heard in seminary and other places that frontline ministries preaching, teaching missionaries, right? And if you can't be the preacher, the teacher, or the missionary, then you support them. That's frontline. I really think Though that can be frontline to you, I, that doesn't bother me. I'm not going to argue the point. The point is, I think there's another frontline person, and that's hospitality. That's this generous giving of self and resources for the cause of Christ. You see it here. You see perhaps the missionary uh, mentioned in their group. But we can all, all do that. As a matter of fact, Romans 12, which is talking about spiritual gifts in Romans 12, talks about the whole body of Christ is to be given to hospitality. All of us. That's something we can all do. We can welcome one another. We can greet one another. We can encourage one another. We can provide through resources what one another needs. And Gaius is commended for that. His generosity his strength of soul, his love in the truth. All right, that's kind of the good stuff, so I spent more time on him, okay? We'll go to Diotrephes next. We, we got to mention him. He's here. Let's, verses 9 and 10. I've written something to the church. So he's written that to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Like, it doesn't acknowledge the scripture that I've written to the church. So, if I come, I will bring up what he's doing. Talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, 
He refuses, so he's not the hospitality king. He refuses to welcome the brothers. And he also stops those who want to. And puts them out of the church. Didn't take but two verses to say all of that about Diotrephes. Not a guy I want to meet. Not a guy I want to be with. Nothing there, in my opinion, is commendable. And though he's in the church, he's a church member. By the way, they obviously had a church role, didn't they? I always wonder about church membership, church roles. Why do I have to be on church roles, not on church roles? Diotrephes believed in a, in a church role because he tried to put people off the role. He succeeded at doing it. He says, there's a membership, and Diotrephes steps in. He's trying to run the church, and he's even trying to put people out of it. So you always have those in and those out in Diotrephes. How does he do it? I gave you five things that um, Diotrephes is known for in his trouble. Self-exaltation, he likes to put himself first. Likes to exalt himself. It's all about me. About what I want. I don't like what's going on. What, what's wrong? What's the scripture for that? I didn't look up scripture. I just don't like it. He's putting his view, his person, his teaching, whatever. He's putting himself first. That's trouble. Exalting himself as the example. Doesn't, could have exalted Gaius. John does. Could have exalted Christ. Doesn't exalt himself. Second, he rejects scripture. John says, he says, I, I have written something to the church. Diotrephes wants to just ignore it, throw it out. John's an apostle. John is one of those God uses to write scripture. By this time in his life, they had recognized that. John is coming to us with the authority of God himself. Diotrephes wants to throw that out. There are people who don't want to follow Scripture. They just have their own ideas. Diotrephes is one of them. Number three, wicked words. Verse 10. He says, he is doing, what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense. He speaks evil of people. He speaks evil of us. John says, he even speaks against us. John the Apostle. Your pastor, your preacher, teacher, do you recognize that? He said, that's not how the church grows and is built up. It's through edification. It's through only using words that are good for the hearer to provide them grace and build them up. He said, that's not happening. These are wicked words. You can, you can examine him by just listening to him. It's slander. That's what it is. Verse 4. I mean, not verse 4, but number 4 for diatrophies. He lacks hospitality. He doesn't welcome people. He puts them out. He's trying to kick people out of the church. He's more concerned about running the organization than he is in building the family. And he wants to run the organization to his efficiency, to his style, to his preferences, to him first. So he's putting, wants to put out of the organization those that aren't on that page. Diotrephes. We see it. Happens in the church all the time. Not welcoming, but running people off. And then number five for him. His self-appointed discipline. 
doesn't say he goes before the elders and this person should be put out of the church because of a particular sin that they refuse to repent of. We all sin, but repentance shows we're genuine believers ought to be in the church. It's the failure to repent is why you put someone out. None of that's discussed. It's just all about diatrophies. He wants to take people off the roll and get them away. John says something interesting in the first phrase of verse 10. So if I come, he's old, doesn't know about travel. If I come, if I'm able to come, I will bring up what Diotrephes is doing. Apparently, he's so strong, y'all aren't able to deal with him. When I show up, we're going to deal with him. He's a problem, and I'll bring it up. It will be dealt with. If you have, I forgot, I didn't look up the various translations. Some of the older, there's at least an older translation. The word here is remember, I will bring up. It has the connotation of I will hold accountable. When I show up, I'm not just going to remember that diatrophies exist. I'm going to bring up these five things about diatrophies. I'm going to bring them up publicly, and we will hold him accountable. If he doesn't repent, he's going to go out of the church. That's what John is saying. He's a troublemaker, and he is hindering and hurting the church. He may have great reputation. He may have great physical wealth. But he's hindering and hurting the church. And it must be acknowledged. And it must be dealt with appropriately. Or people like Gaius. And Gaius' example will not flourish. Those are the ones who are gaining influence that he wants to put out. And that's going to hurt. It's going to hinder our cause. Knowing this is helpful. Um, then the last ending this epistle, verse 11 and 12, we run into a man named Demetrius. Uh, Beloved, do not imitate evil. So in other words, we're not going to talk about diatrophies for the purpose of imitating him. But imitate good. Brings up another example. Whosoever does good, that's from God. Whoever does evil, not even seen God. Not on that page. Verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony. And you know our testimony is true. So here we have another man to finish this epistle out. That he's good. He's godly. He's like Gaius. I don't want to leave you thinking about diatrophies. I want to leave you thinking about Gaius. And I want to leave you thinking about Demetrius, and there are other people like that, and those are the people we need to bring up in the church. And we need to put down those who are like diatrophies. We need to choose good examples, and we need to choose our examples carefully. Who do you choose? Who's your example? We let our kids grow up and, and, and choose sports people, for examples, to develop their athletic ability, their physical ability. I get that. But even among those, we can choose good examples. Do we go back and say, I want an example that's good at love. Without love, you're nothing. Why don't we start there in a love that's walking in the truth? 
Let's pick examples that are generous. And let's pick examples with a strong spiritual inner constitution. Choose your examples well. I think John is saying that. We, I, I'm commending you some examples. You ought to choose. You ought to imitate. You ought to emulate them. Um, some of the examples that are out there, you don't. Don't go there. Don't be thinking of them. Um, Diotrephes is direct, disrupting the church. Move on. Push on for hospitality. Find somebody like Demetrius. He's a template for you. He denies himself. He follows scripture. He has edifying speech. He welcomes others. And he's submissive to the brethren. Follow that. That's a good example. And sometimes we let our families pick examples without giving them some parameters. No, let's, nothing wrong with choosing examples. Nothing wrong with being a follower of someone else. We all grow up following someone. Let's just pick good ones. Let's follow those that God gives us to follow. Verses 13, 14, 15. I didn't know what to call it. I just call it conclusion, right? That works. But it's extremely interesting. Let me read it. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends. Each by name. The end. Wow. I'd love to, I'd love to talk more. Can we do it face to face? And when you talk with one another, could you do it? Face to face? And could you greet one another by name? You would think, it's a no-brainer, right? And yet it's not. How many people even this morning, you see coming down the hall or side doors or whatever, if they get into church, hey, how you doing? Good, good. How you doing? Okay, good. How you doing? Hey, hey, hey. And we don't take the time to say, Susie, good to see you. Yeah, I've missed you. Yeah, a greet by name. Because when you've got 500 people showing up, you don't know every name, do you? And it seems that it's an exhortation to, why don't you take the time to say, you know, I saw you, we were passing right here in this hall Last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I don't know your name. You're obviously regular. I'm obviously regular. I think Third John is saying, could you tell me your name? So I could give you a proper greeting as a brother or as a sister in Christ. Can you tell me your name? Can you slow down just long enough for me to care for you? And for you to care for me. And for me to emulate the love of a Demetrius or a Gaius. Could you stop with the isolated, you got it all together lifestyle long enough to be involved in my life? 
and let me get involved in yours. Because I bet one of us is lonely and needs a little love. I bet one of us would be encouraged if somebody else knew our name. And would pray for us and care for us. That's what the older pastor says. I want the church to learn the significance of greeting one another face to face by name. I'm not putting some guilt trip on you saying you got to learn 500 names because that's how many you have. I try and try and I still mess it. But you can know a handful. You can know someone you don't. You can pray on Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday morning. God, bring me face to face with someone I can encourage in the Lord's house. Bring me face to face with a brother or sister, a father or mother. Bring me face to face with someone I can build up in love. Otherwise, I act like I just want to put them out of the church. And my job is to welcome them into the church. Let's be that kind of loving, passionate church that walks in the truth. Let's pray together. Father, we could have ended with an altar call. We could have asked people to raise hands. But that's not the way you ended this letter. You ended it all about a face-to-face encounter, loving one another. We push that down too often. We're all guilty of isolationism. We're all guilty of being self-centered. We're all guilty of pushing ourselves up. We're all guilty of talking of others. We're guilty of evil speech. Lord, cleanse us of sin. Heal our souls that we may walk in truth and walk in love. Thank you for Gaius, Demetrius, for John. Thank you for such a powerful example of where we live. Conform us, Lord, to these examples, ultimately to Jesus. That we are more and more like him. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen.